0: You to turn in your Bibles to the book of Third John, it's page one thousand twenty-six in your pew Bibles, I believe. In just a moment, I will read from the Word of God, Third John, verses one through eight. Before I do that, I just want to bring greetings from Proclamation Presbyterian Church. It's a joy for me to be here with you again this evening to look out and see so many beloved, familiar faces as well as new faces. It's always a privilege to be back with a church that we love and hold so dear in our hearts and that has been such a great encouragement and blessing to the church family out in Mount Joy at Proclamation. So we are delighted to be uh, serving there uh, with your prayers and your ongoing support and delighted to be here this evening as well to look into the Word of God. And I always enjoy standing in this pulpit, the little plaque right here, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that's our aim as we proclaim the Word of God to put the glory of Jesus Christ on display and invite his people to respond. So that's what we're aiming to do tonight, and it's a great privilege to be called to worship together. So the book of 3 John, verses 1 through 8, I do remind you, this is indeed the word of the Lord. It's a life-giving, precious gift. It's true forever. May we all receive it as such this evening. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The Elder to the Beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful de- thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This is the word of God for the people of God this evening. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the work of your spirit, of your Son, Jesus Christ, and how you... Feed and strengthen your people and bring the lost home through the preaching of your word. It's the work of your spirit. It's not he who plants or he who waters, but only God who makes things grow. May you do that in our lives tonight for the honor and the glory of your holy name, that name above all names, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and coming King. Amen. Why do you do what you do? Why are you here? Why did you come to church this evening? Why will you go to school or to work tomorrow? Or why will you stay home, perhaps, and take care of family and home? Why did you watch football this afternoon? Or whatever else you may have done. Why will you eat turkey and pumpkin pie on Thursday, perhaps so much that you won't feel so good afterwards? Why do you play handbells? Why do you do some things and not others? Why, 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 why? Do I sound like a two-year-old yet? Why do you exist? Is there a meaning and a purpose to your life? John, who wrote this short letter, also wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. This book, the book of Revelation, was a vision that John had given to him by God Almighty. And in that vision, John saw an angel, a supernatural being sent by God with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. It was a message for everyone, for every person who has ever lived at any time and any place, a message for you and for me, for everyone here, for everyone not here. And this is what the angel said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth. The angel calls all people without exception to fear God and give him glory. This is the call, the command, the purpose for every person everywhere. In all times, in all places, it is the universal human responsibility. Giving God praise and giving God glory as the creator of heaven and earth is the fundamental requirement of every single human being. It's why you are here. It's why you exist. Indeed, it is to be the reason for everything that you do. Fear God and give him glory. Or we might say, do all things for the sake of the name. Tonight, we are just going to dwell on that phrase, for the sake of the name. And God is going to change our lives. And we, his people, are going to rejoice. We are going to fear God and give him glory right here this evening. Amen? We'll start by asking a few questions. First, what is the name? Second, what did these brothers that John is talking about, what did they do for the sake of the name? Third, why did they do it? Or we might ask, what does it mean to do something for the sake of the name? And then we'll see how God himself does everything for the sake of his name. And finally, we'll close with an encouragement to all of us to do everything that we do for the sake of the name. So first, what is the name? The name of God is God's revelation of Himself. In the phrase, for the sake of the name, name is essentially synonymous with praise and glory. And we see this throughout the Scriptures. Isaiah is one example. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. So there the prophet Isaiah uses the phrase for the sake of my praise, to explain or repeat or emphasize, expand upon that phrase, for my name's sake. And then one verse later, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So here, Isaiah puts the name of God on the same level as the glory of God. What is the name? The name is the praise and the glory of God. It is God's revelation of himself and all his praise and all his glory. And that revelation of praise and glory is seen most clearly in the divine human person of Jesus Christ and and in his saving work. His is the one name that is exalted above all others. His is the only name by which we are saved. So in the early church, the followers of Jesus would often use the word name as a reference to Jesus Christ. We see that in at least two places in John's first letter. 1 John chapter 2, he writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. One chapter later, chapter 3, he writes, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. So what is the name? The name refers to the glory of God, the praise of God, and most specifically, the glory and praise of God as revealed in his own Son, Jesus Christ, and in his saving work. For the sake of the name means for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of the praise of God, for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now the second question, what did did these brothers do for the sake of the name? Verse 7 tells us they have gone out for the sake of the name. That phrase, they have gone out, it refers to the deliberate setting out on a mission. These brothers have gone out. They are purposeful. They are proclaiming Christ, striving to make disciples of Jesus, and they are doing so, why? For the sake of the name. Now, I want us to think about the context for these brothers, because it adds significance to what they did and then it forms what we will do. So they had gone out on this journey. They had gone out having left the comfort and pleasure and safety and security of home, all that is familiar, family, friends. We aren't told this much, perhaps changing careers, certainly giving of their own time, their own money, their own efforts, even risking their lives for the sake of the name. That's the reality. That's the context Listen, this is the early days of the church. So these men have gone out, and the men who have trained these brothers, those who have sent them out, their mentors, their teachers, their examples, who were they? The apostle John, who wrote this letter, is certainly one of them. And who is John? John's an apostle. He's one of the original twelve disciples of Jesus, but he's also the last living apostle. What happened to the rest of them? They did not just die of old age. They have been martyred. They have been put to death for their faith, for doing the very thing that these brothers are doing. So I want to just give you a little snippet from the life of John and another apostle, Peter, to help us understand what is happening In these days, from when John had gone out, you can read about it in the book of Acts, chapters 3, 4, and 5. It is an incredible, amazing story in the life of the early church, the context in which we're reading this letter. So in Acts chapter 3, you may remember, you may know that Jesus has healed a man through Peter and John, and it has caused quite a commotion. In Acts chapter 4, the leaders arrest Peter and John, they put them in prison overnight, And they want to know how they did this. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected By you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's an amazing sermon by Peter in the face of opposition, is it not? And then the leaders gathered together, they've they've heard him say this, and they say, don't speak in that name anymore. They further threaten them. And then they let them go. And the very next day, there's some man who knows what's going on. Somehow he's been made aware of it. And here we have a tattletale in the Scriptures. Because this man goes and he says, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So think about what happened. Peter and John, they've been arrested. They've been in prison overnight. They've been threatened. And they are not deterred. It does not stop them from what they are doing. So they're brought back in. They're set before the council. They're told again, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. Living witnesses, giving glory to Christ. Now when they heard this, the leaders, the scriptures tell us, the leaders were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But one of their leaders intervenes. And he advises them not to kill them. So instead, what do they do? The leaders physically beat John and Peter. John and Peter. They physically beat them. Now remember, these leaders were enraged. They wanted to kill them. So this is no light beating. This is not just a slap on the wrist. This meeting, this beating is meant to serve as a warning We will kill you again if you do this. We'll kill you if you speak again in the name of Jesus. This beating is meant to make them feel that. You walk away barely alive. And next time, you won't walk away at all. This is the context of what's happening here. They beat them, they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. And the scriptures tell us they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. John and Peter have gone out for the sake of the name. They have been imprisoned. They've been threatened. They've been beaten. Peter, by this time, by the time John writes this, Peter has been put to death. And now these brothers that we're reading about in 3 John, they're willingly following in their steps. They've gone out, a deliberate mission, knowing, knowing very well it could cost them their lives. This is not just a, Oh that's, that's something that happened way back then It's not a, Oh that's something that happens way over there This is their life These are people they know It's happening In their lifetime where they live Beloved do you get that? You see the context here. These brothers who've gone out for the sake of the name, they've heard the good news of the gospel, the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. They've heard of the glory of Jesus Christ from these apostles. And now they're following in the steps of these apostles, going out for the sake of the name, even though their mentors and their teachers were were killed for doing that very thing. And that does not deter them from going. What? What? Beloved, are you living your life for something worth dying for? Why would the brothers do this? They did this because Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, but he didn't stay in the grave. They did this because Jesus rose from the dead. And they realized that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is and was God in the flesh. They did this because Jesus is Lord and sovereign over all. They did this because of who Jesus is, because of all that he accomplished in his life and his death and resurrection. And so this leads us to our next question. What does it mean to do something for the sake of the name? To do something for the sake of the name is to do it For the glory of Jesus Christ. It's to have the glory of His person as truly God and truly man. To have the glory of His work in saving sinners as the driving force behind what you do. And indeed we are to aim in everything that we do to magnify the glory of His person. And to magnify the greatness of His saving work. But for this to happen, we must continually fix our eyes on Jesus. You must live quorum Deo, before the face of God. We must think about and behold the glory of God as revealed in His Son and as revealed through His work. And so I want to take a moment to do that with you this evening by simply dwelling on one verse from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. If you have not already done so, I would urge you, I would urge you to memorize this verse. And there are countless more like it in the living Word of God. I would urge you to memorize them and meditate on them that you can behold the glory of Jesus Christ and the revealed And written word of God. But 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Short, sweet, profound, amazing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you by his poverty might become rich. Let's dwell on that for a moment. Though he was rich, and we know this is not talking about material, earthly riches and possessions. He was not rich in that sense. It's talking about his eternal glory. Though Jesus was God, though he existed before time, though he was the creator of all things, though he was the holy God who enjoyed perfect fellowship within the Trinity, with the Father and with the Spirit. For your sake, the glorious and eternal Son became poor. The Creator took on human flesh. He wrapped Himself in flesh and tabernacled among us. He became poor in taking on a body that would get tired and hungry and thirsty He became poor in taking on a reasonable soul that would experience emotions that overwhelmed him with sorrow to the point of death. He became poor in taking on flesh that would feel pain and bleed and die. The infinite, eternal, almighty, king of kings and lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things. The living, true, eternal, holy God of all glory, for your sake, beloved, became poor. He was born, the creator of all things, was born as a helpless, dependent baby. And not only that, but he became poor and suffering the miseries of this life, including the pain of death, the cursed death on the cross, suffering The wrath of God, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This Jesus, this Jesus, who was nothing like us, became what we are, and then died in our place, was punished for our sins, for the evil we had done, though he himself had never sinned. Not once. He always did what pleased his Father. He was sinless, spotless, undefiled, the perfection of beauty and good and holiness. He humbled himself, became what we are, and willingly laid down his life, dying in the place of those who were his enemies, so that we, who were nothing like him, might become as he is. Oh, beloved, fear. God and give him glory. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Beloved, it is for the sake of this one, this glorious one, for the sake of the name that is above every name that we live. It's for the sake of this one that these brothers risked their lives going out to spread the gospel. And God's people have been doing the same ever since. Adoniram Judson was America's first foreign missionary. Two hundred years ago, around two hundred years ago, he went to Burma. Before he went, he wrote a letter. An incredible letter to a man named John Hazeltine. The reason he wrote to John was because John had a daughter named Anne that Adoniram wanted to marry. So he wrote a letter to Anne's father. And here's part of that letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? And here's his reason. For the sake of him, for the sake of him who left his heavenly home And died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. It's an amazing letter. And Anne and her father consented to such a letter. Why? Why would you do that? Beloved, there is no other reason but for the sake of the name. Because Jesus alone is worthy of our worship and worthy of our lives. As the sinless creatures and the elders sing in Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals for you were slain. And you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why did these brothers go out for the sake of the name? Because they knew. That the living risen Jesus Christ alone was worthy Of their lives and their worship. Now, we want to also see how God Himself does everything for the sake of His name. Yes, it is true that God is always working both for His glory and for our good, for the the best, greatest good of His people. But the Bible puts a priority on God's interests over ours as the basis for His action. And this is clear throughout the scriptures. I only have time to share a few examples with you tonight. Places like Ezekiel 36. Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. God is acting for the sake of his holy name. It's clear in places like Ephesians chapter 1 where the obvious emphasis is on God doing all things to the praise of his own glory. We read in Ephesians 1, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Did you hear that phrase? To the praise of his glorious grace. You listen carefully now, you're going to think I'm a broken record, but this is what's in the Scriptures. Next, in that same chapter, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Just a little bit further down, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Why? To the praise of His glory. Over and over again, the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. God Himself does everything for the sake of His name, His own glory, His own praise. And the fact that God does everything for the sake of His name, for His own glory, should lead us not only to worship Him, to stand in awe of this One who is so glorious and perfect in holiness, but it also brings us comfort. It brings us comfort as we suffer in this world. Because we realize, we understand that any suffering we experience has the highest possible purpose, the greatest possible good in mind. What good? What purpose? Beloved, the glory of God. The glory of God. The only reason, the only reason that Almighty Holy God would ever allow suffering in this world particularly in the lives of His dear, beloved children, whom He has ransomed through the suffering of His own Son. Never forget that. You've been ransomed through the suffering of the precious, eternal Son of God. The only reason God would allow suffering in this world, in the lives of His children, who've been ransomed through the suffering of His own beloved Son, is for the praise of His glory, for the sake of His name. So Peter writes, Peter who suffered for the sake of the name, writes, if now for a little while, if you have been grieved by various trials, it is so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's Peter telling us? It's, he's telling us that our suffering, your suffering as God's precious children, is going to bring, bring praise and honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Beloved, your pain will not be wasted. God is doing something now that you cannot possibly see, you cannot possibly fully understand. That one day, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, will make everything more wonderful for having been so sad. Paul tells us the sufferings of our present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says in 2 Corinthians, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. It doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem light and momentary. But the word of God, which is true forever, tells us it is. It will not last. It will pass. This light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So do not look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient they're passing away. The things that are unseen are eternal. Beloved, look to the glory of God. He is doing all things for the sake of His name May God give you strength and bless you with peace so that you can endure suffering for the sake of His name. And so beloved, we now come to this closing encouragement. We, you and I, today, right now, we are to do everything for the sake of the name. Paul writes in Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. He writes in 1 Corinthians 10, a familiar verse, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Word or deed, eat or drink. These are spectrum terms, one pastor calls them. They are all inclusive of every conceivable option. They cover the entire spectrum. So you cannot, see, you cannot say, some things in my life are not words or deeds. Some things in my life are outside that spectrum. We cannot say that. Paul is spanning the spectrum of all possible activities. But we resist this. This is hard for us. We may not want to do this. We may not understand how we can do this because there are areas of our lives that we want to hold back. We want to exercise independent, autonomous authority over. Whether we're young or old, you know, this is a good week for it, right? We're going to have a few days off of school. We're going to have a few days off of work. This is my vacation time. I can relax. I can do whatever I want for my own comfort and pleasure. We resist this. We want to exercise independent, autonomous authority over these areas of our lives. But, beloved, whenever we do that, the inevitable result is always pain or unhappiness in some way. Why? Because it's sin. It's rebellion against the God who made us and loves us and gave himself for us. And sin always leads to pain and unhappiness in some way. No, beloved, everything we do, all is to be placed in submission to Christ and made to serve His glory. Do you realize how this elevates everything? It gives you a grand purpose. Your day is filled with glory. The mundane moments of your everyday life are filled with opportunities for glory. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. This also removes the sacred secular divide. This is not limited to missionary work. As if the only thing that you can do for the sake of the name is go be a missionary in a foreign country. Oh no, beloved. Everything can be done for the sake of the name. All of life is meant to be worshipped. Every day, all day, we are to live for the sake of the name. So every word we speak and how we speak it. For the sake of the name. Everything that we do or don't do. For the sake of the name. Our vacation plans. For the sake of the name. Our reason for going to college and where we go. For the sake of the name. Our jobs. Our careers. For the sake of the name. Whether we are single or married. For the sake of the name. Work. School. Play. For the sake of the name. Exercise. What we eat. All our entertainment. Netflix. Football. Music. For the sake of the name, what we do with our phones, for the sake of the name. Church, whether we stay at a church, leave a church, join a church, how we serve, how we use the money that God has entrusted to our care, for the sake of the name. Beloved, it is a sin to eat or drink or do anything not for the sake of the name not for the glory of God. Sin is not simply the bad things that we do. Murder, steal, lie, cheat, gossip. If we put sin in that category, you know what most of us think? We think we're pretty good people, don't we? Sin is not simply the bad things we do. Sin is living without reference to God in our ordinary daily lives. Sin is anything that you don't do For the glory of God. And beloved, when we realize that, when we think about that, we are much worse sinners than we thought. I am a much worse sinner than I thought. The gap between fear God and give Him glory and how I live my life is incredibly vast. And this magnifies my need for a Savior and it magnifies the glory of that Savior who though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich, because that gap has been bridged. And I am united to Christ by faith And all my sin. Everything that I do not for the glory of God has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been washed clean, and I am covered with the righteousness of Christ, who everything that he did, at every moment, was aimed for the glory of God. Oh, how we need a Savior. And oh, beloved, what a Savior we have. Amen? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Word, deed. Eat, drink. May we all be able to answer with increasing regularity and honesty for the sake of of his glorious name, the name that is above every name. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Beloved, one day we're going to see Jesus. And in that moment, when our eyes are opened to all of his glory and his majesty, there'll be no question in our minds why we should do everything for the sake of his name. Fear God. And give him glory. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, you are high and lifted up. And yet you came near through your son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you and thank you that you are at work in our lives. You are conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. You have begun a good work in us. And you will bring it to completion. O God, may you help us. To be mindful of your presence every moment. Enable us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Enable us this evening, even on our way home, tonight, tomorrow morning, enable us in whatever we do to do it as unto you for your glory and honor. And give us strength to persevere. As we wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And we know he's coming again, not to deal with our sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You are a great God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we praise your glorious name and we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.